Well, good morning, everybody. I'm glad you're here. Have I seen you before? <laughs> After seven services, it feels like everything looks the same, but uh, not, no, not, never mind. You're good. You're good. I'm glad you're here. Uh, I don't know how you guys are feeling about it, but for me, 2014 is just, you know, flying by and Easter kind of snuck up on me. So to remind us what it's all about, uh, to kind of get the big picture, I figured we could read a statement of faith that Christians have been reciting together for over 1,600 years. It's called the Apostles' Creed. So let's recite this together, shall we? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. So, uh, is that true? I mean, do you guys believe what you just read and recited, especially, especially when it comes to Jesus? What's ironic is that that ancient creed mentions a guy who, when given the opportunity to believe, didn't. His name was Pontius Pilate, and he was the Roman governor of Judea from 26 to 36 AD. And when Jesus stood before him on trial, trumped up on false charges, seven times Pilate found him innocent of any crime. And yet when it came to Jesus' claims of deity, being the son of God, savior and king, uh, the governor had to decide for himself whether that was true or not, whether he believed it or not. And Pilate said, you know, what is the truth? and uh, had Jesus executed. Now, no one knows what he did uh, and what he said three days later when the tomb was empty. There's no, there's no record of his reaction. Uh, but the question that Pilate asked is, is really the overall question of Easter. Yeah? You know, what is the truth? And uh, this week, thinking more about Pilate and his experience, it kind of brought me back to the fact that Easter is founded on an actual person and an actual event that altered the course of history. I mean, the impact of Christianity on our world and on Western culture is undeniable. And it all centers on and around Jesus and his resurrection. Now, keep in mind, even the most outspoken critics of Jesus uh, won't refute his place in history. They don't do that. Uh, for example, the late liberal scholar John Robinson of, of Cambridge University writes, his death is one of the earliest and best attested to facts about Jesus. John Dominic Crusan, who's a co-founder of a group of skeptics uh, known as the Jesus Seminar, writes, Jesus' death by execution under Pontius Pilate is as sure as anything historical can be. And there are others, but in short, Jesus' life and death are irrefutable facts of history. But when it comes to what happened, you know, the third day following his, his crucifixion and burial, went out from under the guard of Roman soldiers put in place by Pilate himself, the tomb was open and Jesus' body went missing. There were only a couple of options, two really. Either someone stole the body or Jesus walked out on his own. And for nearly 2,000 years now, uh, this has been one of the most investigated and scrutinized events ever. 
And as Christians, we believe that uh, what happened to Jesus is exactly what he said would happen, that he would be sacrificed for the sins of the world, that deity would suffer in the place of humanity, or as Jesus himself explained it, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected, killed, and on the third day, raised to life. And so Easter is sort of the Super Bowl celebration of Christian faith, right? And this weekend, while skeptics uh, won't deny Jesus' life, teaching, and death, they do try to dismiss the resurrection, saying it just couldn't happen. But saying that really isn't enough. Intellectual integrity requires detractors to engage with and answer all the lingering questions of history. For example, after his public crucifixion and burial, how could Jesus' tomb get robbed under the watchful eye of Roman soldiers? And what exactly caused Jesus' closest friends and disciples to go from cowering in a, in, a, in a room in Jerusalem, denying even knowing Jesus to save their own necks, to suddenly going out and courageously uh, declaring that he was alive, and all of them, with the exception of the Apostle John, being martyred because of it? I mean, even historian and, and atheist Gerd Ludman agrees. He says, it may be taken as historically certain that Peter and the disciples had, experience, uh, had experiences after Jesus' death in which Jesus appeared to them as the risen Christ. And that's the opinion of an atheist. Why is it that no other religious group before or since ever claimed their leader was raised from the dead? In addition, no self-respecting Jewish man or woman would ever worship and call a human being Lord and Savior. That's the title for God alone. And yet, that's what many called Jesus, and that's what they did. They worshiped him. What changed, what changed their religious view seemingly overnight? And how does one account for the hundreds of eyewitnesses to the resurrection who lived on for decades and maintained their testimony, giving their very lives for what they swore to be true? And how is it that Christianity emerged out of nowhere and spread so rapidly with undeniable power? And why in 2,000 years has no one been able to produce a body? and or disprove, uh, disprove the resurrection, which still inspires belief in millions around the globe with Christianity being the fastest growing faith movement anywhere. Understand, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't just Jesus' birth and life, teaching and crucifixion that changed men and women, that changed the community, that changed the culture, that changed an empire, that changed the world, but his resurrection for it was the culmination of the gospel of grace. In fact, when Peter and John, the apostles, went out announcing that God had raised Jesus from the dead, uh, the most influential Jewish religious leader of the time, a guy named Gamaliel, uh, some of his, his followers, the, uh, the Jewish uh, religious guys were saying, hey, shut these guys up. And Gamaliel, the leader, said, no, 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 let, let, the guy, let him alone. He said, leave these men alone, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it'll fail. But if it's, if it's from God, you will not be able to stop them. Translation, uh, if the resurrection of Jesus is a sham, Christianity will go nowhere. It will flop miserably. But it didn't. It flourished. Because the truth couldn't fail. The resurrection was a reality. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And so what does that mean to us this morning? I think it means a lot of things, but um, one thing in particular that it means is biblical Christianity is exceptional. Because when compared to all other faith movements, 
Christianity alone traces its origin to one event and one moment on one day in history. That's not true for Buddhism, Judaism, Hinduism, Islam, or atheism. One day Jesus is alive, the next he's publicly crucified and buried, and then all of a sudden he's alive again. The result, one moment there's no such thing as a church, then suddenly there is a church. And the group of men and women who make it up that church, those who witness Jesus, listen to him, together went out and did and gave and suffered the most extraordinary things imaginable, all for the sake of their risen Savior. I mean, it was an inexplicable series of events fueled by the miracle of resurrection, which is another thing that makes Christianity so unique. It's the only major religion worldwide that depends on miracles. You realize that, right? Other religions may report them or allow for them, but Christianity relies on them. Jesus' very life was miraculous, deity taking on flesh and blood, his omnipotence authenticated by supernatural wonders, witnessed, experienced, verified by thousands of people, men, women, children, family, friends, enemies, Jews and Gentiles, the religious and irreligious alike, from the miracle of his birth to the healing of the sick to the miracle of resurrection, Jesus was absolutely unique. Deity incarnate come with a message radically different, radically dissimilar from from traditional religion. And that's important for us to recognize and to acknowledge because the founders of, of other religions come as instructors, not saviors. Think about it. They come and say, do this, and you just may find the divine. Jesus said, I am the divine. Come to find you and do for you what you cannot do for yourselves. Rescue you. Give you life. Very, very different. I mean, the good news of Christianity is not that we have to somehow get ourselves to God, but that God has come to us. And we're saved not by not by our works, but by Christ's work, his death, his resurrection. We're rescued not by our goodness, but by God's grace. And therefore, Christianity is not a call to human effort and performance and rituals and regulations. It's not religion in that sense. It's something else altogether, something unexpected, unimaginable, uh, unmerited. Here's how Jesus put it. He didn't say, let me show you the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I get it, man. On the surface, that sounds like, <laughs> that sounds like to some at least, like an arrogant, crazy statement. But it's only arrogant and crazy if it's not true. Otherwise, it is the most gracious, loving, life-giving, culture-changing, world-altering statement ever made. And again, There are really only two options. Either Jesus was right or he's wrong. And what's the truth? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Make no mistake, when Jesus said that, he was claiming that his resurrection from the dead would guarantee the same resurrection to eternal life for anyone and everyone who places their faith in him. His miracle of resurrection would be our miracle of resurrection. I mean, when the Apostle Paul wrote the early church to remind believers of the importance of all this, he said, he said, hey, Christ died for our sins. He was buried, was raised on the third day, and he appeared to Peter and the twelve, to more than 500 followers at the same time, to James and to all the apostles, and after that to me. 
He says, if there's no resurrection, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. For since death came through one man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Here's my uh, reiki summary of that. The, 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 the whole of Christianity hinges on the veracity of the miracle of Christ's resurrection. This, you know, this inconceivable event that didn't just change the life of a few fishermen. It changed the world. So what does the resurrection ask of us? Well, here's what it doesn't ask. It doesn't ask for a comprehensive explanation. And I often mention this around holidays because so, so often as Christians around Christmas and Easter, we convince ourselves that people won't come to faith in Jesus unless we prove or explain everything to them, even the miraculous. And so there's a temptation to try and demystify the, the historical events. But here's the reality. There is mystery in God. There is mystery in the universe. There is mystery in life. There is mystery in incarnation. There is mystery in resurrection. There is mystery in divine love and grace. There is mystery in all of it. And as much as I might like to, I can't prove any of these things to you and risk trivializing divine mystery if I were to try. And look, there is a need for faith. There is. And unfortunately, in our culture today, many people are encouraged to think of faith as nothing more than blind, irrational, wishful thinking. That's not the case. In Scripture, faith means something else. Faith means trusting in what you have evidence to believe is true. And when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus, I mean, there's a lot of direct, circumstantial, corroborating, historical, sociological evidence that can and should be evaluated, but ultimately the resurrection and its evidence asks us for a verdict. It demands a decision. In Jesus' words, do you believe this or not? And, you know, hey, I agree. You know, the idea of a guy coming and walking around a small portion of the earth claiming to be God, offering himself as the sacrifice for sin and suffering unjustly and dying on a cross, being buried and resurrected to life three days later, that just seems illogical. That's an incredible story that has undeniably changed history but is nonetheless pretty difficult to accept and to embrace. It just seems irrational. But here's the deal. I'm guessing most of you believe God exists? And if so, then it's only rational that miracles are possible, right? I mean, if God is God, and he has created all things around us, then he has the ability to do the extraordinary, the supernatural, things that violate the physical laws of the universe that he himself created, like raise the dead. That's what Jesus meant when he said, with God, all things are possible. It's what the Apostle Paul was getting at when he was talking to a group of Jewish skeptics about the resurrection. He said, he said well, you, you guys are religious. You believe in God, right? And they all said, well, absolutely. He said, then why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? In other words, the resurrection simply assumes not only belief in God, but belief in God's ability to perform the miraculous. And so again, it comes back to faith. Do you believe? And Easter confronts all of us with the question. 
And as I see it, there are, there are three common responses to the question. The first response, and I think most common to this setting, is yes, I believe it's true. I believe Jesus was and is who he claims to be, son of God, deity in the flesh, who in innocence died for the sins of humanity and was miraculously resurrected to life. I trust the evidence. I trust what Jesus said. Uh, and I've put my faith in him, and I believe that his resurrection to life guarantees my resurrection to life. Uh, I, I recognize it's a, matter of, it's a matter of God's grace. It's not about my human effort. I believe it. That's one response. A second response is, um, hey, man, I, I don't believe any of it. You know, and there's maybe in a room this size, there's, there could be a few people who say, look, I'm here because it's a holiday. You know, and my friends, my family, they kind of coax me into coming, promise me lunch afterward, free food and all that, you know. So, I, look, I, I'm here just because of that. I'm not really a person of faith. I don't, I don't even believe God exists. And if that's your opinion, if that's how you feel, I can respect that. But I would disagree in saying that you're not a person of faith because really you are. The very statement, I don't believe God exists, is itself a position of faith. Because as much as you would want to say, Ray, you can't prove God exists to me, I can say you can't prove he doesn't. Both positions are faith positions. But that's a discussion for another day. A third response to the question of Easter, to the question of truth, uh, is sort of Pilate's response. It's an agnostic type response, an attempt at middle ground. It's a... It's an, well, you know, I don't know for sure what's true, so I can't decide. In case you're interested, the word agnostic was coined by English biologist um, Thomas Huxley late in the 19th century, and it comes from a Greek term that literally means without knowledge. And for us, the word has come to represent a refusal to commit, you know, to deny or to affirm the supernatural. And... There are people who attend Easter services like this who, uh, who have embraced what I would call a sort of uh, religious agnosticism. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean, it's when you come and say, look, I, I, I'm religious in the sense that I believe in God. But this idea of Jesus and resurrection, you know, I, I don't know about that. I'm not, I'm not going to make a commitment on that one way or the other. And initially, that seems like, uh, like a legitimate posture to take, but the more I, I think about Pilate and his dealing with Jesus, the more I realize that this response to the question of belief is really untenable. Agnosticism in whatever form, to whatever degree, is a refusal to commit, it's a refusal to decide, which results in functional unbelief. Let me put it this way. To say I can't decide is the same as saying, I won't decide, is the same as saying, I don't believe. That's what Pilate did. That's what Pilate did, you know. He never called Jesus a liar, neither did he call him Lord. Tony Blair, the former prime minister of Great Britain, once said, it is possible to view Pilate as the archetypal politician caught on the horns of a dilemma, trying to avoid commitment. And he's right. It's like Pilate thought that he could get away without making a decision about the truth of who Jesus claimed to be. And, and today, people try to do the same thing. And if I ask you to, to stand with me this morning and curse the name of Jesus, no one would do that. But if I ask you to stand with me and affirm faith in him as risen Savior, some of you might not do that either. Because you see, there are a lot of people, good people, moral people, Religious people, church people, who are banking eternity on indecision. 
But here's the thing, just, with, just as it was with Pilate, in God's eyes, no decision is a decision. You see, are you tracking with that? A well-known law professor and scholar, director of legal studies at the University of London, Sir J. Norman Anderson, summarizes it this way. He says, Easter is not primarily a comfort, but a challenge. Its message is either the supreme fact of history or else a gigantic hoax. If it's true, then it is the supreme fact of history. And to fail to adjust one's life to its implications means irreparable loss. And Anderson, by the way, has analyzed the evidence and he's decided that it's true. Uh, He's a Christian, he's a follower of Jesus. But understand, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, you know, whoever lives and believes in me will never die, do you believe this? Again, he only allows us two options. Yes or no, that's it. True or not. And by the way, notice, Jesus says, whoever believes, whoever, which tells me that faith is possible for anybody, no matter who you are, where you're from, what, you know, walk of life, doesn't matter. Uh, Dr. John Polkinghorne is a very well-known, award-winning biophysicist, and he's a former atheist turned Christian who's written over 30 books, most of them about physics, but his latest is entitled Exploring Reality, the Intertwining of Science and Religion. And Polkinghorne says, I believe the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are prime events through which God has acted to make his nature and purposes known. Now, I've read some of this guy's stuff. It's pretty heady. It takes me an hour to get through a sentence. You know what I'm saying? And so guys like this make me glad Jesus said, whoever believes. Because, because if, if, if the only way to know and relate to God was through brain power, through reason, or being a biophysicist, I'm in deep trouble. Because then smarter people would have the inside track, you see? And less intelligent people would be shut, off, shut out. Getting into heaven would be like getting into a PhD program at Cambridge University where Polkinghorne teaches. But obviously God, God wants to have people other than just Cambridge PhDs in heaven. He's made plenty of room for fishermen, prostitutes, tax collectors, soldiers, lawyers, biophysicists, and uh, average guys like me. And I'm grateful for that. You see, reason, reason is aristocratic. Faith is democratic. Everybody gets a vote. Jesus said, whoever believes, whoever. Now you might say, well, I think I believe, but uh, I just have some doubts. Okay, who doesn't? We're all human beings. Who doesn't have doubts? Let me tell you something. Anyone who claims to never have doubts isn't being honest with you. Even the famed reformer Martin Luther once said, only God and certain madmen have no doubt. And he's right. And so far be it from me to criticize or be hard on anybody who struggles with uncertainty. I mean, don't forget, the second greatest story of Easter is a story of doubt, right? Remember following the resurrection, um, Peter and John went to the disciples to tell them what had happened, and they they were telling them, and, and, and Thomas was there. He was a disciple. He said, look, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side. In other words, guys, unless I see Jesus myself, I'm going to have a really hard time accepting this. And then we're told Jesus showed up and he went right to doubting Thomas, as he's become known as. 
And he said, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And how did Thomas respond? My Lord and my God, I believe. And he was eventually put to death brutally in India for his faith in Christ. Dying for a hoax? I don't think so. But the comforting thing for me, especially for me in this interaction, is that Jesus never criticizes Thomas for having doubts. Instead, he said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And in that statement, Jesus was talking about us. We who have not seen but believe, who by faith worship and serve and give and and share the message of God's love and grace to, to our community, to our world even if we have some doubts. Now, it could be that doubt is actually paralyzing you in terms of making a decision. And if that's the case, then think of it this way. I was talking to a family from our church last week who uh, just got back from uh, spring break vacation. They were camping in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. And they were telling me how one day they were, they were walking along a ridge of a mountain right along uh, the edge of a cliff. And there were no rails or anything. They were walking along this path in the cliff and there was an elderly gentleman also hiking and he lost his footing and he began to slip off the cliff. He was sliding off the edge. And the guy from our church uh, thought quickly and was very heroic. He, he reached out his hand and the elderly gentleman grabbed it with both and, and he was able to pull the man to safety, uh, keep him from, from dying. Well, imagine yourself being on the edge of a cliff where you lose your footing and you're slipping and you're starting to fall. And it's a long way down. But there's someone there on top who reaches out his hand to help. And in a split second, you realize that person is more than strong enough to pull you to safety. And they're your only hope. How can that person actually help you? If your mind is filled with intellectual certainty that 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 person can save you, but you don't actually reach out and grab his hand... You're lost. You're gone. However, if your mind is filled with some doubts, but you reach out and grab his hand anyway, you're saved. Why? Because it's not the strength of your belief, but the strength of the object of your belief that does the saving. Here's my point. You don't have to wait for all your doubts to go away before you take hold of Jesus. I mean, don't make the fatal mistake of thinking you can avoid the decision or that that you've got to have all your questions answered before you choose to put your faith in him. You know, all my questions aren't answered. Understand, Jesus and his resurrection changed the course of human history. It did. And it makes Christianity absolutely unique to all other religions because it alone says, out of love, God came and rescued us to give us life after death. And getting into heaven isn't about your good works, your efforts, your performance, your rituals, your regulations that you keep. It's not about that. It's all and only about what Jesus has graciously done for you. His resurrection to life guarantees your resurrection to life. But it demands a decision. Do you believe Jesus died and rose again for you or not? And listen, I got to tell you, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not big on coincidences. And I, I'm convinced that we are all brought here today for a reason. And that is to, to make a decision to be faced with the the question of Easter, you know, what is the truth? 
What do you believe? And that's a, that's a question only you can answer. So let's pray together. Our Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to come today and, and to, to recognize the, the person of Jesus um, who lived and died, whose life and teaching impacted humanity, and whose resurrection changed the course of it forever. But for us, this is not just a matter of history. It's, a, it's, a, it's the question of faith. Do we believe Jesus came for us to forgive us for our failures and our shortcomings and our, our brokenness, our imperfections, and to graciously offer us forgiveness in life? And through his death and through his resurrection, we are guaranteed that life, life eternal, life with you, our God, our creator. It's not about our works. It's about your grace. I pray each of us would understand that. I pray my friends here this morning would, in the next few minutes, just take, just take some time to think about what they really believe. Um, and I pray that all of us would humbly embrace this good news offered in Jesus, who graciously gave himself for us and who loves us, each of us. I pray that we believe it and embrace it. In his name we pray, amen. So, you know, here's the deal. Jesus said, whoever believes in me will live, even though he dies, will live. Or as the Apostle Paul put it when he wrote to the church, he said, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart you believe and with your mouth you profess your faith. Notice, Jesus said, you will live. Paul says, you will be saved. It's not, well, maybe. It's not perhaps. It's not, if you're a good enough person, it's if you believe with your heart you will be saved. You will live even though you die. And that's the message of Easter. And uh, here's the thing. Atheism says there's no hope. There's no meaning to it. The love you feel for people is just a chemical reaction. It has no meaning. The religions of the world say, no, there's God, and we have a problem, and we've got to figure out the problem with God, but it's all about what you do. You've got to be good enough. So figure that out. Christianity alone says, no, 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 no. There is a God, and there is a problem, but we can't solve it ourselves. And so God himself came unexpectedly to solve our problem for us. Jesus came and lived the life we could never live, died the death we deserve to die, and through his resurrection guarantees our life everlasting. And all it requires of you is to believe in your heart and to confess it with your mouth. And uh, I don't know, no one ever explained that to me. When, you know, I didn't grow up in a, in a, in a religious home. Uh, no one explained that to me. I thought religion was all about just being a good person. I thought, I'm out. You know, that's not, that's not going to work for me. You know, uh, but then I, I learned the true message of the gospel. It's about grace. That's what makes the good news so good, you see. So maybe this is the first time someone's ever explained it to you that way. And so maybe you're interested in just saying in your heart, and then we're going to sing in a moment, just singing with your, your mouth that you believe. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
Um, some of you have been, been Christians a long time. This is just an opportunity on Easter to affirm what it is you believe. In fact, if this is the first time, if you're ready to do that or you're thinking about it, uh, just write it down on one of the bulletin pullouts and just drop it off the info desk. Just tell me about it. I'd like to hear about your story or what you're thinking, what you're feeling. But um, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song uh, about uh, this faith in Jesus. And if you believe it, then sing it like you mean it. Okay? Stand with me. Let's sing. Thanks for coming, everybody. I hope you have a great Easter. Enjoy your time with family and friends. Don't forget what it's about, okay? Let me pray for you. And now, Lord, as your people leave the building, may we go with a, a sense of joy and fulfillment and hope uh, in the knowledge that um, you have done a great thing for us. You have given us a Savior. Because of your grace and your love, you've, you've given what, is, what we don't deserve, that is life, if we just believe. We, may we live our lives every day in such a way, so generously and graciously and kind and compassionate that we point people to you, that they too might experience your love and grace in their lives. And now may your hand of peace and strength and courage and favor rest on your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Easter, everybody. Thanks for coming.